0: We are in this series, God Inside, and it's the study of the Holy Spirit. And in, in the past few weeks, we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit, found in Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 22. For the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For today, I want to I ask you guys, do me a favor. Would you just imagine with me really quick? Let's take a moment and imagine just the most peaceful Scene that you could picture in your head. What does that scene look like? How would you paint that picture of of peace? There was a major art gallery that decided that they were going to put a contest out, and the theme was peace. And they asked all the artists, come up with their best portrait of peace and submit it. And so people submitted their, their paintings, and one by one these paintings were unveiled and, and, and you saw some of the most serene portraits. Like one was, was this ocean with the sun setting in the horizon with palm trees gently swaying in the breeze. There was another portrait of rolling green hills with nobody around, just rolling green hills. There's a little white fence and behind the fence was this, this lake that didn't even have a single ripple, just a serene lake. There's another painting where there's this cabin tucked away by itself, secluded in the mountains, covered with fresh powdered snow on its roof and all around, not a footprint in the snow to be found. And through the window of that cabin, you can see the glow of, of a fire in the fireplace. All peaceful portraits. The winter, as it was unveiled, as that... The painting was revealed to everybody. Here's what the people saw. It was a painting by Jack Dawson. He painted this in 1996. And in it, you see, in the background, you see thunder and lightning in the dark black skies. You see uh, tumultuous water flowing down as it crashes upon the jagged, bouldering rock. You see a rushing current of water. You see branches trying to hold on as they weather the storm and rain falls through the sky. And this was the painting that took home the prize. This was the picture of peace. You ask yourself, how is that a, a picture of peace? Well, if you look closely, if, if I, if I try to zoom it in for you a little bit, but if you look closely, right in the center, there in the cleft of the rock is a bird, a mother bird sitting peacefully in her nest as she tends to her, her eggs right there in the safety of the rock. This took home the prize. Why because the realization is peace is not the absence of storms peace is the presence of refuge and the bible says god is our refuge you know there there's parts of the world where storms come every season there's typhoon seasons. Like in Japan and Taiwan, I know that they have typhoon seasons. And when, when news of typhoon is coming, there are people who will run to their homes. They will run and buy supplies. They will they'll board up their windows, they'll fill their sandbags to prevent flooding. And so everybody's frantic when typhoon comes. You know what surfers do when typhoon comes? They surf. Like, no joke, it produces some of the best waves. In my room, one of my, my favorite non-biblical quotes, is, it's in my office right across the top of my whiteboard, is this quote, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And in life for us, you can't stop the storms. There will, there will never be an absence of storms, but you can have the presence of Jesus. You can't have the presence of of Jesus The reality is we all long for peace amen we all want peace not just us here in this room in the church beyond these four walls everybody longs for peace and maybe you came in and I know it's sunny outside but maybe you just walked in from a storm or maybe even as you sit here right now and as it's sunny outside you're still in the storm and there's a huge dark cloud above you, and, and you're, you're going through things right now. Maybe you have relational conflict with someone in your family, or maybe you've been butting heads with somebody in your workplace or your school. Maybe you're, you're wondering what your job is going to look like in the near future. If I'm even going to get a next paycheck, what's my position at my current job going to look like? Maybe you're battling sickness, or maybe you've lost a loved one due to sickness. Maybe you've lost a loved one, I know all of us here have lost. Every one of us here have, have lost loved ones, even in the recent past. Maybe you, you're, you've been asking God, and it's, it's, it's creating this turmoil in your soul. You've been asking the Lord for something for so long, begging him, even fasting and praying, and he still hasn't given it to you. Or maybe you're wondering, God, why did you give me this? And you're carrying a burden and a load that you can't seem to carry any longer. And you've been asking the Lord to take it away, and he still hasn't taken it away. God, why won't you lift this off of me? Maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe you recently went through a storm. Or maybe a storm is coming. We all long for peace. And as we continue in our series, we've talked about the fruit of love. We've talked about joy. Today, we're going to talk about Peace. And how the Holy Spirit of God has been given to every follower of Christ, every believer in Christ, to produce this peace that passes our understanding. So I want to show you what the scriptures say about it. Would you guys bow with me and let's pray and let's ask the Lord to lead us into this time. So God, you promised us in your word that you would give us your Holy Spirit for times such as these. As For times such as this, as we go into your truth, you said that the Holy Spirit would be our guide and you would lead us into truth, all truth. You will teach us these things and then you'll remind us of them. And so God, we want to surrender our hearts and our minds to you. God, I surrender my message that I've prepared to you and we ask that you would have your way, Lord. God, I, I really pray that you would help us to be filled with the kind of peace that comes not from this world, but the peace that comes from heaven. God, fill us completely to overflowing. And so, God, I, I, uh, I ask that you help me in my words this morning. I pray that nothing I say will be successful this morning, that it wouldn't be considered successful or, or good or worth sharing or taking notes unless, unless they're true. The truth shared and the words shared are true and from you. So, Lord, here are our hearts, here are our minds we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say, amen. 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 The Bible talks about a few different types of peace that every one of us ought to experience according to the will of God. And he wants us to experience, for example, an inward peace. He wants to experience an outward peace. But we can't experience inward peace or outward peace unless we first have an Upward peace. So if you have your notes, would you guys write this down? Here's piece number one that I want to show you. There's three pieces that we're going to talk about. Number one, an upward peace with God. An upward peace with God. So let's, let's start here. You have to start here because you can't have the peace of God if you don't have peace with God. And essentially what that is, that's the gospel, we're coming back to the gospel once again. When we talked about love a couple weeks ago, we closed by saying we love because he first loved us. We agape because he agapes us. That's the gospel right there. And then in the, in the message of joy last week, Pastor Caleb brought it and, and he closed by saying that kara, joy, comes from charis, grace. And we experience joy because of the grace we've experienced. The grace of the gospel, that's the gospel right there. And so today, as we talk about peace, we come right back to the gospel. Because the peace we're talking about is a gospel-driven, gospel-given peace. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that this is the gospel of peace. Let me show you Romans 5. If you, you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, you have it in your apps or your Baywatch as well. But here's what verse 1 says. It says... Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say it again. Therefore, since we have been justified. Everyone say justified. Justified. Since we've been justified, saved by faith, what's the result? We have peace. Circle that word peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a gospel of peace, right? Because later on in Romans 5, verse 8, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 10, he says, we were enemies of God. Because of our sin, we were enemies. We wanted nothing to do with him. We wanted to live our own lives. But because Christ died for us, what happened? He, He reconciled us to God. By the death of his son, we've been reconciled. We've been brought into peace. And so that there's that picture of we're enemies, we're sinners, we're, we're, there's hostility between us. But because Christ died and justified us, there's now no more hostility, but there's harmony between you and God, and me and God, and all those who put their faith in God. It's, it's a peace relationship now. We've been reconciled. So that's justification. Now help me out, church. What comes after justification? We get sanctification, right? Sanctification. And sanctification is that process, and we've talked about this, where God wants to start changing us. Now, here's what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. If you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Now may the God of peace, circle that phrase, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, circle that word completely, and may your whole spirit, circle that word whole, May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what's Paul's prayer? That, that God, and not just any God, what kind of God is he? He's a God of peace. May he sanctify you completely, completely. And holy, your whole soul and your whole body may be sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's at this work to produce complete peace inside of us, both inwardly and outwardly until we're completely peaceful. Full of peace. That's his goal in our lives. Now, the people in the Bible um, who spoke Hebrew... Uh, The Jews in particular, they they had a greeting when they saw each other, when they said hi and when they said bye, they had the same word, they would say shalom, everyone say shalom, shalom, Shalom. it's weird, when you say hi and bye, you say shalom, kind of like you Hawaiians, right, you Hawaiians, when when you're on the islands and you say hi and bye, what do you say? Aloha. Aloha, right, aloha. Or, or my friends and I, when we were growing up in high school, my hardcore wannabe friends growing up in the rough streets of Torrance, California, right? When we say hi, what do we say? And When we say bye, what do you say? Right? Peace. Peace. And that's what shalom is. It's a greeting for hi and bye. Peace. Shalom. But, but it was more than just a greeting. It was a wish. And, and their understand shalom is translated peace. But their understanding of peace, I suspect, is a little different from how you or, or I typically understand it. Because for the Jews, shalom wasn't just an absence of conflict. Shalom was the presence of completeness, of wholeness. This idea that you are not lacking anything. And so I wish shalom upon you. You're living the life that God intends for you. See, because when you're sick... Your, your health is not complete. If you're feeling depressed, your mind is not healthy. When you're walking in sin, your heart is not whole. And I, and I, I wish otherwise for you. Shalom. May the, God, the, the Lord's peace be upon you. May you be full and complete, experiencing everything, not lacking anything that God has desired for you. So that's the idea of shalom. And the idea is that now that we've been justified with God through this relationship that Christ made available for us, he wants to sanctify us completely, like that word you, you circled, that our whole body and soul would be filled with this peace, shalom. So upward peace with God, we start there, but upward peace with God does what? Well, it leads us to inward peace within. Would you guys write that down for the second kind of peace we want to experience? Upward peace with God leads to inward peace within yourself. Now, talking about peace, as we all know, uh, surfing can be one of the most peaceful sports on earth. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you, brother. Surfing is one of the most peaceful. I mean, think about just sitting in the ocean and the sun is setting or the sun is right. It's so peaceful. But at the same time, from my experience, surfing can be one of the least peaceful sports. Sports in certain moments why because there's this thing that every surfer dreads called the impact zone now I've showed you guys this before I've showed I've talked about the impact zone before and the impact zone is that place That dreadful place you find yourself when you see this huge wave coming for you and you realize I Have nowhere to go. I can't paddle to the left or to the right I can't paddle towards it or away from it I'm in this place where I'm about to wear this wave like a helmet Like, it's about to come right down on my head. And when it does, and I've shared this before, boom, it drives you underneath the surface, and you're being put through the spin cycle, and you're being flung all around like a rag doll. You lose your board. Your hands and your arms are flailing. Sometimes when it's so bad, you get disoriented. You have no idea which way is up. That's what happens when you are caught in the impact zone. Now, I'm just showing you this picture. I don't surf waves that big. Um, I I don't surf waves like that. Mine are a lot bigger than this. So, um, (laughs) obviously, these are wimpy waves, but, but you get the point, right? Impact zone. And so, when I first started surfing, I would do this thing where once I'm down there and I'm being flung around in all this turbulence, my initial reaction was to panic. See, people always ask me, aren't you scared when you surf? Aren't you scared of sharks? I tell them, no, absolutely not. Like, I never think about being attacked by a shark. But one of the greatest fears is that I would be caught underneath a wave for so long that I lose my breath, that I black out or lose consciousness and don't make it. That's like my greatest fear, legit fear. And so every time I get thrown down, when I first started surfing, I would panic. And I would, with all my might, I would try to struggle and fight through the turbulence and try to find the surface so I can gasp for air. But here's the thing. What happens when you're exerting all your energy and all your force and trying to fight against this force that's greater than you? What happens? You have a greater demand for air. You need oxygen, right? Imagine running down a track. You're on a track and field, and and, and you're running as hard sprinting with all your might. What, What happens? You're gasping for air. Now try sprinting with all your might underwater where you never had air to begin with. Right, you you can't breathe underwater, so you have no. So the 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 demand for air is that much greater. And there have been times when it was so bad that I come up by the grace of God. I come up and and that's the end of my session. I'm out. I I, I'm done. I'm done. Right, and I got to paddle in because I almost died. So, one day, an experienced surfer friend of mine he told me he says, "Hey, when that happens." and you're panicking and you you're you're, you're with all your might he says listen don't fight so hard don't don't struggle so hard with all just here's his advice he says just relax he says relax just be peaceful and what happens with every single wave in the history of uh, of the earth every wave passes just like every n- no wave stands still every wave passes it'll pass just relax don't lose your breath and it, you, you'll shoot back to the surface. Why? Because you're tied to your surfboard. It's a huge block of foam. It's a floating device. It's going to shoot to the surface. And with it, because you're tied to it, you're going to shoot back up. It'll pass. So just relax. That's the advice a surfer gave me when turbulence happens. What advice does the Bible give us? What does Jesus give us when turbulence happens? Well, I'm going to turn you to John chapter 2. Turn with me to John chapter 2. Let me just set this up for you. Jesus is talking with these Jews who are testing him, questioning his authority, and his disciples are around. And so they ask him in verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, Man, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But what he, Jesus, was speaking about was the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. Everyone say remembered. Circle that word. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I had you circle that word, remember. Here's why. Remember that when John writes this book, this is way after the fact, right? Like this all happened already. Jesus already died. He already rose from the grave. And now he's writing it in the gospel so that you and I would be able to know about it. So, so it happened. And, and what he's saying is that Jesus, at that moment, in real time, when the disciples were with him, and Jesus is saying, destroy this temple. Three days, I'm going to raise it back up. Understand, that's crazy talk. Like nobody has heard anybody talk like this. Up to that point in history, the disciples have never seen any guy die and then raise himself back to life. They've never seen that happen. And so when Jesus is talking like this, nobody has even talked like this, saying, destroy me, kill me, I'll rise in three days. And so hearing this for the Jews, and I'm sure for the disciples as well, this is crazy talk, what are you talking about? But then what John is saying is that when it happened, verse 22, I had you circle that. When the disciples remembered that he had said this, they believed the scriptures. Meaning when it actually came to pass and Jesus did die just like he said he would, and then he rose from the grave three days later just like he said he would, what happened? The disciples remembered. Oh, yeah. John, remember he he said this? Bartholomew, remember, he told us he would die and rise. They remembered, and as they were remembering, it was doing something inwardly. It was strengthening their faith. They were believing the words that Scripture and Jesus had spoken. Oh, yeah. He talked about this. Everything clicked. So now we go to John chapter 16. Go with me to John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, this is the Last Supper. Jesus is with his disciples eating this Passover meal, and it's the Last Supper. But mind you, can I, can I remind you that the disciples don't know this is the Last Supper. Right to them, they're just eating a Passover meal. Jesus knows because he's Jesus. And, and you and I, we know why. Because in our Bibles, there's a heading that says the Last Supper. That, that's how we know. But the disciples, they, they think they're just eating a meal. And as they're eating their meal, you know, they're eating their, their matzo bread and drinking their wine, Jesus kind of drops this bomb on them. Look what he says. They're eating. Just imagine you're there at the table. You're observing everything that's going on, enjoying this great feast. And in verse 2, he says this to them They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there. Excuse me, Jesus. Sorry, I choked on my matzo bread. Cause, uh, uh, would you run that by me again? Because I thought, I thought you said when they killed us. <laughs> I thought you said they're going to kill us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when they kill you, um, they're going to think that they're doing it out of love for God. They're serving God. Excuse me? They're going to kill us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen, next verse, verse 4. But I have said these things to you. That when their hour comes, you may remember, circle that word remember, that I told them to you. That you would remember. When it happens, when it comes to pass, you're, you're going to remember, I, I called it. I, I told you. Remember the last time I told you, you're going to be killed. I, I, I said it. Just remember, I told you. It's like, how, how in the world, Jesus, what is going on right now? How in the world are you going to drop this bomb on us and then tell us that you called it? How does remembering help this situation at all? Why why do I, why do I this morning keep having you circle these words, remember, remember, remember? What's the point of remembering? Well, here's the point. Because when the Holy Spirit reminds us of the things that Jesus has been saying all along, and we realize that they all come to pass, then that does something inwardly. It gives the disciples and it gives us an assurance that he is the all-knowing, all-powerful God who is in control. He is the Lord over all. So remembrance leads to peace. Remembrance leads to peace. And so he goes on in that Passover meal, the Last Supper, and he says to them, John 16, verse 33. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Circle that word, peace. I've said these things. I'm telling you so that you would have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Guys, I've been telling you all along, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be taken under. But like I said all along, remember, I will overcome. I will rise again. I will overcome. Remember I told you that. And when you do, you will be filled with peace. I'm going to come out on top just like I said. And so disciples, also remember that when you go through trial and when you go through your tribulation and you go through your storm and you go through your suffering, remember that because you are with me and I am with you, even when you get killed, you're coming out on top. You will rise again. You will overcome. You have the rest of eternity to spend with me. You will not die. You will be alive in glory forever and ever. What's the, basically, Jesus is saying, what's the worst they can do to you, kill you? <laughs> right? Paul's like, Paul's like, he puts it like this. He says, For, to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's a win-win situation. If I live, I win. If I die, I win. Because I'm with Christ. What, what can the world do to me? Kill me? I'm only going to live. Friends, in the presence of tribulation, you will have peace. Peace is not the absence of of conflict. It's the presence of Christ. Because when you're in Christ and His Spirit is in you, remember that the Christ who is in you is the one who has already overcome the world. And because you are with Him, you too will come out on top, guaranteed. So these past few days, if you've been in the local news, you've heard that there's been some big swell hitting the California coast and you might have heard of high surf advisory. And when the waves come, what do surfers do? You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf, right? And so did I surf? Absolutely. I was out there. So I go out this past week, big waves, as, as they said. And so I'm enjoying it. And here's what happens. These waves come in sets, right? It's, it's kind of weird. There's kind of this calm. It's, it's a calm. We call it a lull, And then all of a sudden, they come in sets. So I'm out here. I'm surfing. I'm sitting on my board. And I turn and... Here we go, here's this big wave coming, and where do I find myself? Obviously the impact zone. I'm in the impact zone. I can't go to the right or to the left. I can't swim toward it or swim to the shore. I'm realizing I'm about to take this one straight on the head. So I do my best to try to duck under the wave, but sure enough, boom, like I get thrown under the water. I'm going through what I just described to you earlier. I'm being tossed around. My board gets shot out of my arms. I'm, I'm underwater, I'm, try- I'm panicking, what do I do? I panic, right, I'm panicking, I'm trying to find a surface, and then what happens? Then I remembered, I remembered what my friend told me, relax, when this happens, just remain peaceful, relax, this will pass, every wave in history has always pa- passed, so, so I told myself, okay, just relax, so I just let it, t- like just, you know, <laughs> fling me all over the place, and sure enough, My board shot to the surface, and because I'm tied to my board, I, too, came out on top. Came out. Oh, praise God. Turn around. Here we go again. Number two. Wave number two. Ah, boom. And a second time. I'm under the water once again. I'm being flung. Okay, I remember. Relax. Relax. Be peaceful. This, too, shall pass. Like, literally, I said those words in my my mind. This, too, shall pass. Sure enough, my board shot up. I came up with it. <sighs> Here we go again. <laughs> you know, like There were seven waves in the set, seven waves. And some of them I was able to successfully dive under and, and clear it and come out to the top. Some of them I got thrown again. But every time I just had to remember, relax, this wave will pass. I will come out on top. And in the same way, Jesus says, listen, you will have tribulation. The Bible tells us very plainly, it's very blunt about it. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. You will have trials and tribulations. You will have suffering and there will be storms. And that's not from God. He doesn't author that. That's from nature, sinful nature. That's the sin that's been brought into this world. God's not doing it, but it's the world we live in. But remember, he's given us the Holy Spirit. To minister to us. What's his ministry? To help us remember. Remember John chapter 14, 25? Let me remind you of this. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. All that I've said to you. Remember, we talked about this that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to teach us and to help us remember. Why is the ministry of remembrance such an important ministry? Because have you seen the next verse? The next verse goes like this Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them Be afraid. And in the same breath, it's like Jesus saying, there's a direct connection between remembering and the peace that you're going to experience. Remembrance leads to peace. This Holy Spirit that I leave with you is the peace that I leave with you. This Holy Spirit within you is the peace you're going to experience within you. Why? Because he's going to help you remember the things I've said. I told you this would happen. Trust me. I'm all-knowing. I'm all-powerful. I am the Lord over all. So if you, my friends, if you're being ridiculed or mistreated at work, that's your storm. If you're being ridiculed because of your beliefs or because of your faith, remember. Remember Jesus said that blessed are those who are persecuted for my name. Great is your reward in heaven. Maybe your storm is you're worried about your job or your income. You're worried about what your living situation is going to look like. Remember. Remember. Let the Holy Spirit remind you, remember he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Your food, your clothes, your shelter, just seek first his kingdom. Remember. Maybe you're going through this season where you feel like you're being attacked. Spiritual attack. Emotional, mental attack. Remember. Remember, the Bible told us that if you are from God, you have overcome the world. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You will come out on top, you will overcome. Because Jesus, if you are tied to Jesus, just like a surfer is tied to a surfboard, you're going to come out on top. Christ rose again, he has overcome, and because you are from him, so shall you. Even if your struggle ends in death. The Bible goes so far to say, even if your struggle ends in death, because just like Christ, we will rise again and we will overcome. And I think about this week, some of you guys know our sister Miharu. Miharu is a very familiar face around here, um, has served in our hospitality ministry and our VBS. She was a VBS volunteer. She's in our uh, prayer ministry here at church, always coming to our Tuesday night prayer meetings, uh, serves in the heaven's kitchen. This past week, we we were broken when we heard that she had suddenly passed away. And I know some of you guys are hearing that for the first time. um, But we found out Sunday after church last week, and it was just shocking to us. And as I was preparing this message, it just gave such great depth to this idea of peace. Because now, now for me, rest in peace is not just something you say anymore. It's not just something you say when someone passes away, but I'm thinking about the the shalom that Miharu is experiencing right now. Now, finally, for the first time ever, she's experiencing the fullness and completeness of the life that God has intended for her. As she is in the presence of Jesus, she is knowing shalom like, like never before. And so even in death, We know we will rise again. I know Miharu rises again, and she overcomes. Why? Because Christ was in her, and she was in Christ. So peace dwells within us when the spirit within us causes us to remember the things of Jesus. Upward peace leads to inward peace. And finally, the third piece, would you guys write this down? Upward peace with God leads to outward peace with people. Not only does it lead to inward peace within, but it leads to outward peace with, with other people, right? Because we know that the Holy Spirit doesn't only want to produce in us an inward peace so that we're all good within ourselves, but, but the Bible is so clear about this. He wants us to experience outward peace with other people. Peace isn't the absence of hostility, it's the pursuit of harmony, And that includes with relationships. The reality is we're all going to have conflict with people. And when conflict happens, you can sweep it under the rug and have the false sense that nothing is there. And on the flip side, the waters can seem calm, but underneath there might be turmoil within your heart or the other person's heart. There's turmoil. And if shalom is talking about the fullness and completeness of peace, then I don't care what it looks like on the surface, you're not experiencing peace. You could just hide it under the rug if you wanted to. That's not peace. When I was young, in elementary school, I used to always love to do these little projects, and I would cut up cardboard boxes. My dad worked at Xerox, so we had all these Xerox paper boxes. I'd cut them up, and I'd make like these cities for my Hot Wheels. I'd make like ramps and parking garages, and I'd make these cities. And so one, one day, I'm, I'm cutting up cardboard. I had this big um, jug of Elmer's glue jug of white glue, I was, I was cutting and gluing and stuff, and I was working on the city, little, you know, unbeknownst to me that at some point I had kicked the Elmer's glue bottle over, and the cap was off, and by the time I realized, I look, and there's this huge puddle of white glue on our carpet, on our carpet, and I'm thinking, my parents are going to kill me. By the way, mom and dad, are you here? Anywhere? Okay, so they're probably coming to the next service, so they'll hear this for the first time. But uh, I thought, they're gonna kill me. So I'm like, oh, there's gonna be major conflict. So I came up with this great idea. I don't know how I came up with such a brilliant idea at 10 years old. But what I did was I took a um, a cardboard box and I put it right on top of it. (laughs) Like the bottom part, not the top part, the bottom part, the flat piece, I put it right on top so they wouldn't see and I wouldn't get in trouble. Brilliant, right? Till this day. That box is still there. (laughs) Can't get rid of it. No, no. but but that's what I did. I thought that if I could just cover it, it's good. And the reality is when we have relationships and there's conflict, peace is not the absence of hostility. Sometimes it's going to involve us engaging in conflict rather than trying to put a cardboard box over it. Here's what the Bible tells us over and over. Romans 14, for example. Ro- Romans 14, verse 19 says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The call of the Christian who has the spirit in him is to pursue peace, to engage conflict, to run toward it so that there would be peace. Right? Because in this world, it's, it's not normal. Okay? It's not natural for people to engage in hostile conflict for the purpose of pursuing peace. It's not normal. Most people will either run away from it because they want nothing to do with it or they'll walk away and, and put a cardboard box over it, hoping and thinking that it's good just because we're not clashing. So I'm going to be a better person. I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to ignore it. And the Bible calls us to something different. When it's normal to walk away and run away, remember, Christian, you're not normal. You're not normal anymore. And the call is to pursue it and seek the wholeness and the fullness that God desires for us in our relationships. And the reality is you might try. You might try to pursue wholeness and, and harmony with, with other people, and, and they might not reciprocate. Let's, let's just face the reality. But here's what Romans chapter 12, verse uh, 18 says. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And we know that the whole situation doesn't entirely depend on you because they have a part to But as far as it depends on you, you pursue peace. Ball's in your court. They might not want to play ball with you, but you play ball. You engage in peace and and let their response be between them and God. You pursue peace. Now, the the question is, how do we practically pursue peace? And I know the Bible gives us many ways we can do that. I want to suggest one to you today. And this is kind of a, a... a major way, so it's not a quick fix, but it's, it's a core, core um, issue. But I, I believe that when two people are at peace with God and have upward peace with God, then those two people will naturally grow in peace with each other. It's kind of like the love triangle. You guys know the love triangle? I'll put it up for you guys. I've always operated on this in high school and college. Uh, but, but the love triangle is when two people in a relationship love God and, and, and draw closer to God, what naturally happens to that, those, those two people in a relationship? They're going to get closer to each other. If they get closer to God, they're going to get closer to each other. That's a simple principle. Well, I, I think the peace triangle also exists. That in the same way, if two people in a relationship, and it doesn't have to be guy or girl, it could be guy and guy, girl and girl, guy and girl, it doesn't matter. But if two people in some kind of relationship, maybe a coworker or a classmate or a family member, if you two both pursue the upward peace with God, then naturally a fruit of that pursuit will be peace with each other. There's no way you can have full peace with God and be at odds with your brother and sister. Recently, I was invited to be part of a, um, a YouTube episode called Middle Ground. And some of you guys have already seen it, but it's, it's this conversation that they wanted to have. And they brought three members of the LGBTQ community and three members of a traditional marriage community uh, together to sit in a room and talk. And they asked if I would come to represent a conservative Christian perspective. And I, I knew the risk involved. I knew the risk involved. I knew that if I go, I better be so careful with my words because I could get blasted by either side. But I agreed. I said, I'll I'll go. And uh, it was interesting. One of the things they told us, uh, the people working on this video told us, whatever you do, once it's published and it goes live, do not read the comments. (laughs) Save yourself the heartache. Don't read the comments because it's brutal out there, right? So I knew the risk involved, but I said, I'll go. Why? Because I wanted to go. And tell people that Christians aren't people who are out with an agenda to hate people. Not from the LGBTQ community or anything else. So, so I went, and here's what I wanted to say. This was really my heart. I, I wanted to say that as a Christian, I don't think my main agenda is to tell people how to behave and, and how to live. What they can and cannot do. I'm not, I'm not the world's moral police, and neither should you be. And I wanted to say my main agenda is not to say who you can and cannot marry. My main agenda is to help introduce people to Jesus Christ. Like, as a Christ follower, I want to tell people that there is a God who loves you, who loves you so deeply, he sent his one and only son, Christ, to to die for you so that you would have a reconciled relationship with God. I want people to fall in love with Jesus. See, because the reality is, oh, thank you, We, we could praise the Lord for that truth, right? Like, because... The reality is I'm not naive. I know that I can't form a person's thoughts or behaviors based on what I believe or what I say. I know people aren't going to change their, their ways because of what I say and what I believe. But I do believe that people might form their thoughts and behaviors based off their love for their Savior. I can't change a person's behavior, but I do have the power to introduce them to the Savior. And I believe people's moral behaviors are a reflection of the moral standards of the God they worship. If your God says love others, you're going to try to love others. If somehow your God says go and steal, if you love them, you're going to go and steal. I don't know which God would say that, but whoever your God is, your moral behavior is a reflection of the moral standards of the God that you serve. And so my priority is if I can get you to know Jesus and to love him, then I pray that he who is way more powerful than me, can love you so much that it's going to cause you to live in a way that's in line with His, with his commands and His standards. And, and once you have that relationship and we now serve the same God, now our responsibility is let's help each other grow in our relationship with God and help each other be as obedient and faithful to God as we can. That's our responsibility. And I will step up to that. I will step up to that. And so, so that's the principle. That's the principle. I'm powerless to change people's behavior, but I do have power to introduce them to the Savior, Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit has come upon me to be a witness. And so it's with that principle I believe that if people can have peace with God and pursue peace with God, then a fruit of that pursuit will be peace with each other. And so if you're at odds with someone and there's conflict, and you're doing your best to love on them and initiate and to, to make things right, but they're not responding, the best thing you can do is to pray that they experience the shalom of God, that they have peace with God. And if they don't know him, your job is to point them to Jesus. Pray that they come to know the Savior. And you might be thinking, well, the person that I have conflict with, they know Jesus. They go to this church. They serve in the same ministry with me, and they drive me up the wall. I can't stand them. Oh, they, they have peace with God. And I'm, I'm not talking about being justified. If they're saved, they're saved. Praise God for that. But just because you're saved doesn't mean you have the fullness and completeness, the the shalom. Because even if you're a saved believer and you have beef with a brother or sister, don't think things are all right with God, that things are all good. Or even Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if you come to the altar to worship and you bring your offerings and you remember that you have odds, you're at odds with a brother or sister, he says, leave your offering there. Leave the altar, go make it right, go get reconciled, make peace, then come back and worship me. In other words, the implication is, don't worship me if, if you're not going to live out the gospel. The gospel is peace has been made, and if you get that and you think I'm worthy, then live the gospel out, then worship me, because that's worship. That's telling me that you think I'm worthy, that you would lay down yourself and pursue peace. Peace isn't the absence of hostility, it's the pursuit of harmony. So as far as it depends on you, you make sure you have shalom with God, that everything about your heart and your mind is right, and you pray for that other person that they experience shalom with God, and when you pursue peace, you will experience growing peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Life will have its troubles and its tribulations, and we come to a close. Life, you know, you're going to have your storms, and I know people right now, right here, you're going through storms. And maybe your storm is internally within yourself. Maybe it's externally with somebody outside of you. But if we have the upward peace with God, then understand this. The Lord of peace, the one who calms the storms, reigns in you. I want to close with Mark chapter 4. You guys know the story where where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and and, and the storm came up and the winds blew and the waves were literally over their heads. It was overwhelming them. It says it swamped the boat and the disciples are freaking out. They're panicking. And, And as that boat was violently rocking back and forth, Jesus is peacefully sleeping as if a baby were being rocked by a cradle. They're saying, What is going on? And they say, Jesus, wake up. Master, wake up. Don't you care that we we might drown? Don't you care that this is too powerful for us? Wake up. Jesus gets up, and what does Jesus do? You guys know the story. What does he say? Peace. Be still. And the wind became peaceful, and the waves became still. And in that moment, there, there was a storm, and then there was an absence of storm. And if you were in that boat, imagine you're in the boat with the disciples. What's consuming your mind right now? And I submit, I don't think that they are consumed with the fact that, oh, there's a lack of storm right now. Hey, Andrew, isn't that cool? It was blowing and now it's gone. Blessed. We're blessed. Hey, Peter, remember that storm that we just were, ex- we were experiencing? The clouds are gone. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, no, that's a big deal, but I don't think that's consuming their mind. What's consuming their mind? It's not the absence of the storm, it's the presence of Jesus. Because in Mark 441, what does it say? It says they were so terrified they asked each other, Who is this? Who is this that even the waves the wind and the waves obey him? It wasn't so much the absence of the storm. It's the presence of God Almighty, Lord over creation, Lord over all is in the same boat with us. He's with us. Who is this? And the same waves that were over their head in Mark chapter 4 were the same waves that were under his feet in Mark chapter 6. Because once again, here we go, number two, storm comes, and the wind rages, and the waves come, and it says their ship was being buffeted against the wind and the waves. And this time, instead of making the waves stop, Jesus makes the waves his floor mat. He makes it his footstool. He's, he's walking on it. He can make the the waves stop if he wanted to, but even when he doesn't, the, the God who has the waves under his control is also the God who has the waves under his feet. He overcomes, he's on top. And when the storms and the waves overwhelm you, church, please remember that if you have peace with God, then Jesus, who walks on the waves, lives in you. You can't stop the waves but you can't have the presence of Jesus. You can't stop the waves, but you can't have the presence of Jesus. And if you would just have this upward peace with God, then you also have the presence of Jesus and you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Man, would you guys bow your heads with me? And I want to give you guys a time to just quietly worship in your hearts, respond to this peace that's been made available to us. And I, I want to address those of you who are maybe here and you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You don't believe in him. And maybe you haven't experienced this, this peace that's available. We all long for peace. And the Bible says that if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He died and rose from the dead. Then you will be saved. You will have peace. Peace. You don't get saved by going to church. You don't get saved by praying. You don't get saved by getting baptized. The Bible says you get saved by faith. And all that stuff is important. That stuff will come as a response. I I hope you go to church and pray and all that, but but it's by believing. It starts there. And so I want to make that opportunity available for you today. And I'm going to pray with you. And this prayer is just an expression of saying, I believe, and I want that peace. I want upward peace with you because I sure need peace within myself and and amongst others. I need your peace first. So I'm going to pray out loud and you can just pray in the quietness of your heart, but pray as if you're sincerely talking to God. Father God, thank you so much for this moment, for bringing me to hear your message of peace. And I want to say I believe with all my heart that you love me, and that you gave Jesus Christ your son to die and to rise again so that I would have peace with you. God, I believe by faith and I confess, I don't know what all that looks like from here on forward but please give me your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your spirit to help me now live in a way that's pleasing to you. I know I'm not going to be perfect But help me walk this day forward out of my love for you, out of my relationship with you. Thank you, God, for giving me life. Thank you for giving me peace. And thank you for this assurance that I too will rise and I will overcome. And So God, it's it's because of that that we worship you and praise you with all that we have. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.